Thanks for being flexible, Jeff, and uh, jumping in uh, to do that. That's great. It'd be wonderful if you can keep that passage open uh, in front of you. That would be really helpful as we work our way through uh, today, as we continue our series looking at what it means to be apprentices to Jesus. Well, let me start in prayer and ask God's help for today. Heavenly Father, thank you for this word that's been read to us. Thank you that we have it in a language we can understand. And we pray now that by your Holy Spirit, you would unlock its meaning for us and that you would challenge us and change us. Heavenly Father, be at work by your Holy Spirit to make us more and more like Jesus. It's in his name we pray. Amen. All right. Well, I want to start with a question that gets us thinking. How far ahead are you looking? How far ahead are you looking? If I ask you what your horizon is, what's your horizon? Lunch for some of you, right? Lunch. We're almost there. I've been good. I haven't got hangry yet, okay? But I'm on the edge. I'm looking forward to lunch. My nephew uh, drives me batty. I love him. He's amazing, but it drives me batty. We're literally eating breakfast, and he says, what's for lunch? I'm like, dude, just consume the food in front of you. It'll be, it'll be all good. But some of you, lunch is the horizon, right? For others, it's tonight, right? Hey, while it's Sunday, it's still the weekend. How fantastic is that? We're not, not Monday yet. We're still on the weekend. Oh, fantastic. So tonight is your horizon. Uh, for some people, it's the end of term four, right? Ah, oh, man, I just can't wait to get to the end of term four. Some of you are going, what is a term four? I don't know what that is. My, my world doesn't orientate around term four. And so your horizon instead might be Christmas, right? Man, I'm going to be able to collapse when we get to Christmas. Um, of course, we've got lots to do at Christmas, but uh, in theory, uh, in theory, we, we can collapse. So what's, what's your horizon? How, how far ahead are you thinking? That's an important idea that sits behind the passage that we're, uh, that we're doing here today. Not least of all, because we're a very immediate culture. I don't know if you guys have noticed, but um, in our kitchen, our instant hot water thing has broken. Has anyone noticed this? Okay, for those of you who have noticed, how are you feeling about this? It's very sad, isn't it? And you think, does it need to be very sad? I mean, like, you can always put the urn on and it'll be fine, won't it? But instant hot water, why do you have a box that's called instant hot water? Because, man, we just can't wait for that kettle to boil, right? When I want my hot water, I need it right now right now. Now, that, that's the kind of society that we live in. I, I wonder if there are some people who are old enough to remember this symbol uh, that's up here. Does anyone remember this? Okay, what is it? Bank card. Okay, all right. For those of you who are going, what was that? That's okay. Um, in 1974, um, the, uh, the banks sent out a credit card to people in Australia, uh, which was wonderfully generous of them, wasn't it? And so all of a sudden, instead of spending your money, you can spend the bank's money before having to pay it back, plus a considerable amount of interest as well. So it kind of started this whole thing where not just that we save up for things, but that we can pay for things with money that we don't have right now. And so that starts this whole idea of shop now and pay later. And it never ceases to amaze me on the TV when I see a Harvey Norman ad that says 60 months interest-free. I'm like, does anyone know how long 60 months is? How long is 60 months? Five years. So let's just, let's just check this out. Wow, I really want a TV, the latest TV. It's going to be five years old before you start. Anyway, I, I just find this idea terrifying. 
right? So it's 60 months interest free. Then you've got this thing like zip pay or next day deliveries, and then you can get your food delivered to home. Uh, you can get it delivered, well, you can track the pizza that's coming to you on your phone with GPS, or, or you can order it from your phone. But, but the one I'm loving at the moment in our immediate culture is this one. And when I say loving, I mean not loving at all. Have you, have you heard of Afterpay? Okay, Afterpay. Right, so here's the way Afterpay works. You'd like something, don't wait. Don't wait, you can have it today, and what we'll do is we'll send you four monthly payments and you can give it back to us with a little bit extra on top. It's instant, it's painless, and you get to look good today in something that you'll be tired of tomorrow before the fourth payment comes through. It's pretty crazy, and so afterpay is kind of the spirit of the age, I think. What, what does this tell us? What does this tell us about our society? Well, I want to suggest that as a society, speaking broadly, what we want is no pain. No pain. We want no waiting. I mean, the other day, my, my, <laughs> my fibre to the home connection stopped and I had to start using, you know, pleb internet. And I'm going, I mean, I'm literally tapping things. I'm, I'm going crazy. Now, we are just no waiting. No sacrifice. I want it. I don't want to save for it. I don't want to wait for it. I don't want it to cost me anything. I want everything today with no cost and no delay. And for the younger guys out there, what we want is no bad vibes. We just want everything to be smooth and easy, right? If you don't know what no bad vibes are, you know, that's okay. Um, I'm hitting a certain demographic when I say that. Here's the thing, though. We, we want a society with no friction. If I think it, it needs to happen for me right now without any pain, loss, or cost. And I want to ask you this morning, church, is that what Jesus promised? <laughs> Morgan's nodding his head. Don't nod your head, Morgan. Is that, is that what Jesus promised us? Good on you, Claire. He did make a way for us to be right with God, but he didn't promise us that we wouldn't have any pain or waiting. Let's go to a place where Jesus is teaching. Uh, it, it's called here a level place um, in uh, chapter 6, verse 17 of Luke. And we're going to pick up the reading that was brought to us. So we're in Luke chapter 6, and we're going back to verse 20. Jesus is teaching uh, a big crowd. And as he talks, he says this, Looking at his disciples, he said, Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who hunger now, for you will be satisfied. Blessed are you who weep now, for you will laugh. Blessed are you when people hate you, when they exclude you, when they insult you and reject your name as evil because of the Son of Man. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy because great is your reward in heaven. For that is how their ancestors treated the prophets. But woe to you who are rich, for you have already received your comfort. Woe to you who are well fed now, for you will go hungry. Woe to you who laugh now, for you will mourn and weep. Woe to you when everyone speaks well of you, for that is how their ancestors treated the false prophets. That's a really interesting reading, and it's, it's got some assumptions in it, doesn't it? I want you to see here that it assumes a context of persecution. It assumes a context of persecution. J Jesus is speaking to his disciples, and he literally could have said anything. 
He could have said, always make sure you're nice to the birds as you walk past them. He could have said that, couldn't he? Make sure, guys, you take your hat off every time you walk past a lady and give them a smile and maybe a compliment on what they're wearing. He doesn't say that. In his teaching, Jesus assumes that his apprentices will have a context of suffering. Blessed are you when people hate you, when they exclude you, when they insult you, and when they reject your name as evil because of the Son of Man. If you sign up to be an apprentice to Jesus, he says you must expect, you will expect to be in persecution. I want you to see that it assumes a day of great reversal is coming. Did you see my emphasis or my emphasis in the reading? Did you see that? Uh, The nows and the thens, did you see that? And what it's assuming is that in the future, there'll be a day of reversal. Jesus is preaching an upside down kingdom. Those who are on top today, will one day be brought low. Those who are low today will one day be lifted up. The poor will be exalted. The proud and the rich will be brought low. There's a day coming when everything will be reversed. And it assumes that his apprentices are living for that day, are conscious of it and living for it. And then thirdly, this Consciousness leads to extraordinary behavior. Have a look at verse 23. Uh, Has anyone here, you don't need to put up your hand, but have you had the experience of being put down for being a Christian? Oh, you're not one of those God botherers, are you? You couldn't believe that. You know, know, those Christians, they're all a bunch of hypocrites, aren't they? Do, Do you know this experience? If you've had that experience, have a look at what verse 23 says. It says, rejoice in that day and leap for joy because great is your reward in heaven. Now, now when was the last time you got insulted and you went, yes! It's a a completely nonsensical response, isn't it? Rejoice in that day. Now, do, do you remember Paul and Silas are in jail in Philippi? They've been flogged, they've been put in jail, and it's midnight, and what are they doing? They're singing praise to God. Now, it's not just because they were happy chappies. It's because they, have, they were rejoicing that they'd been counted worthy of suffering for the name of Jesus. And so they were singing praise to God. Now, what's about to happen in that jail is about to be an earthquake. The doors will open and they'll be released, which is wonderful. But you know what? At 11.59, they didn't know. They were just praising God because they'd been counted worthy of suffering for his name. Now that is extraordinary, isn't it? And unexpected. And the only way you could rejoice is if you were sure that there was a day of reversal coming. You see, Jesus' apprentices love with a long view. We love with a long view. We look forward to the day, the day of great reversal. Well, there was a context of persecution And there was a context of enemies for Jesus' people. Uh, Let let me come back a little bit for the history of Israel. Um, In 332 BC, Alexander the Great took over the whole area. And so they were under the rule of the Greeks. And then a little bit later, the Seleucids came in 199 BC. They were free from 163 BC. And then the Romans came in 63 BC and said, guys, we're going to put a stop to all this freedom thing. We're in charge. So if you're an Israelite, to have enemies wasn't just an idea in your head, it was a soldier down the street. It was an occupying army in your country. That's what it meant to have enemies. 
And so have a listen to the way Jesus speaks to them here in verse 27. But to you who are listening, I say, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who mistreat you. If someone slaps you on one cheek, turn to them the other also. If someone takes your coat, do not withhold your shirt from them. Give to anyone who asks you. And if anyone takes what belongs to you, do not demand it back. Do to others as you would have them do to you. Now, what, what, what exactly does this mean? Well, it's worth noting that for Israel, they did have national enemies. That was a reality. But they also had personal enemies. And some of you here will know what it is to have an enemy. Not just someone who thinks ill of you, but someone who's organized and against you. Do you know what that's like? It's a particularly unpleasant state of life. And Jesus speaks to us here and says something extraordinary. He tells us to love our enemies and to do good to those who hate you. Guys, that is upside down, isn't it? We're supposed to make sure that we get revenge on our enemies. That we don't let everybody get off the hook. That we punish those who do wrong to us. That's what our world will tell us. I want you to see what God expects from those who would call themselves apprentices to Jesus. He expects that they will be generous peacemakers. And he speaks of coats and cheeks. See what it says about the coats? If someone takes your coat, do not withhold your shirt from them. I mean, that's, that's crazy. I'd like my coat back, please. Why would I offer you my shirt? Why would we do this? And then we get to cheeks. And it says Christians are very cheeky. Very cheeky. Here's why we're cheeky. See, what it says here, I don't know if I've explained this to you before, apologies, but I'll do it again at the risk of over-explaining. But here's the thing. Um, if someone slaps you on the cheek, right, what's the next thing that you want to do? You want to slap them on their cheek, right? How many slaps you're going to be, it's going to be big maths here at the moment. How many slaps have we got there? Yes, two slaps, right? Somebody slaps me and then I slap them back. Now, after I've slapped them back, they go, thank you very much. I think we're even. Good day, sir. <laughs> Is that what happens? It moves, it moves from an open hand to a closed hand, doesn't it? And then to headlock, whatever else. It, it escalates from there. Two slaps leads to escalation. What Jesus is saying here, I think, is radical. What he's saying, there will always be two slaps. Someone slaps you, you slap them back. There will always be two slaps. If you're to be a peacemaker, what you're going to do is you're going to wear both of those slaps. Because if I wear two slaps and I don't return any, guess what happens to the disagreement, the fight? Stops, doesn't it? Now, now, let's be really clear. This isn't an encouragement to endure abuse. That isn't what Jesus is saying here. What he's saying is that we need to be peacemakers. Instead of retaliating back, bear the cost yourself that we might be peacemakers. Generous peacemakers. See, what he wants is that we would live out this golden rule. Do to others, verse 31, as you would have them do to you. Now, I was talking to uh, Reda and Samir, and, and they were saying that there's a silver rule. The silver rule is don't do to others what you wouldn't want them to do to you. Have I got that right, guys? Don't do to others what you would not want them to do to you. And particularly, I think you guys were saying that's a, a 
more of a Muslim kind of take on the world. Is that right? So here's the thing. The silver rule says, don't do bad to other people because you wouldn't want them to do bad to you. Now, what that is, is that's a wall-building kind of keep-yourself-safe approach, right? It shuts community down. I'm not going to do bad to you. Jesus says something radical. He says, do to others what you would have them do to you. Do you see how positive the engagement is? It's not withholding evil. It's sharing love and blessing. Can you see that? Do to others what you would have them do to you. So we are agents of blessing and love in the community, not withholders of evil. Do you see the difference? I love this picture of what it means to be an apprentice to Jesus. So to be Jesus' apprentices, we are to love at the gold standard. The gold standard. We're to be the people who bring blessing into our community. Now, does anyone recognize this couch? Oh, nice. Yes, excellent. You wouldn't believe it, but it was someone from the Anglicare village this morning who was the first to recognize this couch. So what do you know? So this is friends, okay? Uh, everybody loves good friends, right? That's why you run a TV show and pay a million dollars an episode or whatever they did, right? Everybody loves good friends and they love good neighbors as well, don't they? Okay, so here's the thing. We, we love friends, we care for them. We love good neighbors, we care for them. Just be very clear that loving your good friends and loving your good neighbors is not distinctly Christian, it's okay for us to acknowledge the reality of good pagans. People who love their friends are great. How wonderful. It's just not distinctly Christian to do so. Have a look with me at what Jesus says in verses 32 and following. If you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? <laughs> Even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who are good to you, what, what credit is that to you? Even sinners do that. And if you lend to those from whom you expect repayment, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners expecting to be repaid in full, but love your enemies. Do good to them and lend to them without expecting to get anything back. Then your reward will be great and you'll be children of the Most High because he is kind to the ungrateful and the wicked. Be merciful just as your Father is merciful. Church, this stuff really is wild. We're talking about being supernatural Christians. It's not something you can just go, I just need to try a little bit harder. We need a Holy Spirit-inspired revolution inside us to be able to do this, right? We, we need to be changed radically. It's not just having a good attitude and why don't you get on with it, church. It's God have mercy, change me from the inside out. By your Holy Spirit, rewire me. Make me new. Give me a new life, for instance, right? Because here's the thing. It needs to be gospel-driven love. Gospel-driven love. I'll explain what I mean. There's a wonderful passage in Romans chapter 5. If you don't know this passage already, probably one of those ones to mark in the Bible. If it's our Bible, just mark it anyway. If it's on your phone, colour in that piece of glass on the front. That'll be fantastic. You see, at just the right time, it says in Romans 5, 6, when we were still powerless... Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though, though for a good person someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ 
died for us. See, here's the thing, church. If you think the gospel is good people go to heaven, then it was no big deal for Jesus to die for you because you deserved it. He was lucky to have you on his team. But what it says here is that we were powerless and ungodly. It says that we were sinners. We were the enemies of God when he chose to die for us. Here's the radical news. Bad people go to heaven. Bad people go to heaven. The undeserving enemies of God is who Jesus died for on the cross. So when he says that we're to love like him, that we'll be children of our heavenly father, what is he like? It says here in verse 35, because he is kind to the ungrateful and the wicked. Guys, this is the last thing the world will tell you to do. It's insanity. And the only reason you would do it is if you recognize I've been loved this way. God loved me this way. So I will love somebody else in this way. As Jesus' apprentices, we're to give love as we've received loved. If you've received radical, gracious, undeserved love, then you're to extend that love to others. Now, there's some terrible things happening up the coast, aren't there? With the fires uh, up, uh, up north. And, and we never expect the day. No, no one woke up and thinks, today's the day my house is going to be burned down. No, no one thinks that. It comes suddenly and, and crashes in, literally. But th there are lists of things that you can do to prepare your house for fire. Uh, has anyone got a house in a fire-prone zone? H have you done anything yet? Some of you will have done some things, but here's the thing. On the day, they give you some sort of survival things. They go, well, if you have to stay, drink water, fill your gutters, all that sort of thing. But if you haven't put the preparation in place, putting water in your gutter is better than not. But if you're fundamentally unready for the day that comes, you'll just be swept away on a day like that. Let's skip to the end of this passage. There's so much good stuff here, but we'll skip to the end of this passage in verse 46. Jesus says, Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I say? As for anyone who comes to me and hears my words and puts them into practice, I will show you what they are like. They're like a man building a house who dug down deep and laid a foundation on a rock. When a flood came, the torrent struck that house but could not shake it because it was well built. But the one who hears my words and does not put them into practice is like a man who built a house on ground without a foundation. The moment the torrent struck that house, it collapsed and its destruction was complete. See, what he says here is that we can't be people who merely listen to the word. And so I want to ask you, are you listening to the word of God? Well, you're here. Well done. Doing great. So tick. Yes, I'm listening to the word of God. The question is, are we loving like the word of God? Do not merely listen. Put it into practice. Are we loving like the word of God? And then thirdly, are we looking forward to the day that he warns is coming? Do we know it's coming? Let me give you this amazing passage from 2 Peter chapter 3. You know, because this is talking about floods, and I had a picture of fire there. But, but this will take us to that spot. It says in 2 Peter 3, in this extraordinary passage, the Lord is not slow in keeping his promise. It's talking about the end of time. It says, the Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. Now, church, we need to note that, don't we? Not wanting anyone to perish, but 
everyone to come to repentance. That's the heart of our God. Everyone to come to repentance. But then it goes on and says, but the day of the Lord will come like a thief. The heavens will disappear with a roar. The elements will be destroyed by the fire and the earth and everything done in it will be laid bare. You see, there are some houses that are unprepared for fire. And there are some hearts that are unprepared for the final day. People whose spiritual foundations are lacking. They haven't dug down on the rock. They haven't built practice on top of the words that they know. And they're in danger of being swept away on that final day. What does it mean to be an apprentice to Jesus? We love with actions and in truth. We don't just listen. We do it. We do it. Because our finish line is death. The day when we'll be relieved of this life that will have hardship in it is when we die. And we will seek to live a costly love now because we have an expectation of heavenly rewards. He actually says time and time again in here that your reward will be great in heaven. Do we ever have that horizon? Are we ever thinking, I will keep pushing on until my last breath because then I'm going to enter into my rest with my Saviour forever. It will be hard now, but one day it'll be glory and pleasure in the presence of God. Man, I can't wait for that day. And, and this is what I call afterpay, right? Right? It's there. There's a great reward. For those who will persevere today, there is a great reward waiting. It won't all be brilliant. It'll be hard. But when we see him face to face and he says, well done, good and faithful servant, I promise you it'll be worth it. I promise you. We're a church that wants to be faithful, adventurous, compassionate, enduring. This compassionate one takes us right to the heart of what it means to be apprentices to Jesus. We, we want to be living Jesus' call to love. And one of the things it asks up here is, how are you bringing Jesus' love to the least? I am delighted in this wall of boxes that's over there. Have you seen it growing? Uh, I'm so delighted. Uh, there's more than 160 there. I'm really thankful for Janet, um, who's been running point for this. And these are all going to disappear really soon. So I praise God for this very practical way that you've been showing love to the least. And what I want to encourage you, whether you've put a box in or not, I think we need to pray for those who will open our boxes. We need to pray, don't we? Here's an extraordinary thing, guys. Look at this, look at this. This box here, I don't know what's excited, but it's for a, a four-year-old girl. Great. There's exciting things in here, right? Here's the thing. Somewhere around the world, a little girl is going to open this box up. Isn't that exciting? This box, I, I just think this is the most extraordinary thing, right? We are going to show love to the least in a very physical way. How brilliant. But why don't we pray that the person who puts it in their hand can explain the greater gift of a saviour who loves them, who calls them precious in his sight. So I think we need to not only give, and I'm so glad, church, I love that you're showing Jesus' love to the least, but let's add prayers to our boxes. Here's another way we can show Jesus' love. These are going out all over the world, okay? I want to find out, how do we live out our compassionate value closer to home? There's an organisation called Turning Point in Camden, and uh, we are going to start partnering with them more and more to try and show Jesus' love into our community in practical ways right here. This is a picture of Davina, um, who runs uh, Turning Point in Camden. That, they do an amazing job. They're, they're an organisation that is showing practical love to the least right around us here. Why do I love them so much? Well, they love Jesus, and they've said no to government money 
that will mean that they can't speak of Jesus. How good is that? Now, who do we want to partner with? People who take that stand, right? So they're going to give practical love in Jesus' name and actually mention Jesus' name. Pretty good thought, hey. So what could we do? Well, next time you go shopping, they run a pantry down there, which is apparently always needing food, um, a low-cost pantry to help people out who are struggling. And so I'm going to say to you, hey, next time you go shopping, could you pack a bag of groceries for those in our area? And we don't need to do this all the time, but we're going to try and set it up so that you can pack a bag of groceries and we'll make sure that they get to them regularly. Okay? And so we're going to have a collection point out in our foyer, a really practical way. There'll be a list of things you can buy in our newsletter this week and available in an ongoing way. A way to show love, practically, in our local area. And what about the least? Well, who's the least? People who are in slavery today. And we think, who's in slavery today? It's real and it's millions of millions of men and women and children around the world. International Justice Mission, an extraordinary organisation, uh, partner with us here at New Life to see people set free. We went and saw them in, um, in the Philippines and we met their, um, their leaders there and we had a brilliant time hearing their very harrowing work that they're doing there in the Philippines. What I want to encourage you to do is to sign up to pray with IJM for those in modern slavery today. You can sign up via a link that I'll put in our newsletter today, uh, sorry, this week, and you can say, yeah, I'm going to pray. Maybe I can't go to uh, Lake Volta, where children are fishing on a lake who are stolen from their families and can't get home. Well, I want to pray for them and partner with this organisation that will set them free. Well, here's the fourth one, and this is a bit of a radical one. I'm taking this for a test fly. Okay? Christmas is all about family, but not everybody has family here. What we want to do is we want to say to our community, come and join us for Christmas. Bring your family along. And if you don't have family, this is what we're thinking of putting on our thing, so help us out. I'm thinking of saying, and then join our family for Christmas brunch after our 9am service. So if you don't have family to go to, come and join our family on Christmas Day. We reckon the service will probably finish about 9.45 and that we'd be absolutely done by 11, probably before that. If you're around and available, we would love for you to say, I can help out with Christmas brunch so we can invite our community to do family on Christmas Day. Now, if that's something that you'd like to help us out with, you might like to let us know on the Caring Connect card and that'd be a great way to respond uh, to this message. Will we show our love in a practical way to our community. Well, here we go. Jesus calls us to love. He's calling us and he says, will we demonstrate his love with his heart? His love with his heart. That's why we're talking about growing and maturing apprentices and that's what it means for us to sign up for a Jesus apprenticeship. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, you are good and you challenge us. Your word pushes us to places that our world would never take us. Lord, I pray that you would extend our horizon so that we'd know this afterpay, this reward in heaven, and that we'd be willing to love in a costly way, recognizing that you showed us mercy when we were wicked and undeserving. Father, help us to supernaturally show your love. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.